Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Ephesians 4.17 This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole Steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, And evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. All right, we have been studying Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus for about a month and a half or so now, and we have gone through what is considered the doctrinal side of it, the first half of his letter, and have last week moved into the quote-unquote practical portion of this letter. Um, but as we went into that, that first half, again, as a reminder to us, that because this is important as we, we consider this, we're considering walking worthy. And so to understand how what that means, we need to understand the, the calling with which we were called. And so we see that in that first three chapters, and we see right off the bat, as again, as a reminder, who we are, if you would, in Christ. Not what we have accomplished, not what we have done, but what he has accomplished on our behalf. And so, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, even as he has chosen us and he has adopted us to be his children that we are then accepted by the beloved we are redeemed and forgiven pardoned we are then given information we are formed about the mystery which was to come we are promised an inheritance we are sealed with the holy spirit of promise but then in chapter two after paul has prayed for the believers we're told that there is this marvelous marvelous transformation that has occurred that we 
who are in Christ once were dead in our physis, our very nature, our physis, we were children of wrath. But God took us while we were walking according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and he made us alive together with Christ. In that he seated us together with Christ in the heavenlies. What an exciting thing that is. That gets into the metaphysicist, metaphysical side of things that is hard for us to comprehend. You are here in the earth, but if you know Jesus Christ, you are in the heavenlies. Boggles my brain. And yet, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says to the Roman believers, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship or service. The true O, it's a uh, worship of service. And do not be conformed to this world, but rather be ye transformed. The Greek word there is metamorphosis. Talking about your morphe, not your physis, your morphe. I'll talk about that in a moment. That you be transformed in the renewing of your mind. That you may be able to approve what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In your physis, in your very nature, you have an old man. We know that from Romans. That's what we're talking about. That's your physis. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. He was dead. He was a child of wrath. But then God made him alive. Quickened him. The marvelous mystery between how the, the eternal and the finite come together is beyond my comprehension. But then he begins a work in my morphe. In my being. My, my schemate is another Greek word, is my outward appearance. It's changed. You know, there are times I have a beard, sometimes I don't have a beard. Well, I've had a beard for a long time, so now you kind of, when you think of Bob, you think with a beard. But if you see pictures of me in the past, see me in seminary, I didn't have a mustache, you know, and I had black hair. So, you know, and it's like, but my schemate has changed, but my morphe is the same inside me. But God has been doing a work on that in such that if you knew me 40 years ago, you wouldn't know me. Am I a little bit different, Rodney, than the first time you met me? So again, I share this, but they knew me before I was saved. Okay? They knew me when I was the guy who stopped the car and cussed my wife out and told her to get her blankety out. That's the metamorphosis. That's an ongoing process that God is doing. He changed my physics like this. And when he did it, he brought a whole new way of thinking into my life. That's exactly the core of Jesus' teaching. You all know that. When Jesus came to the earth, the first message he gave was what? Everyone together, one, two, three, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And the Greek word for repent is the word what? Metanoia. 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 Change the way you 
think. Not change the way you act. That's epistrepho. That's going to come. Epistrepho is also then translated as repent. But epistrepho comes after metanoia. You have to change the way you think, and therefore you can change the way you act. That's what Paul is getting ready to get into. He's going to take this core thing that we've just got through, and he's bringing it now into this practical side. Last week, we saw the first part of this. And how does this look? How does walking worthy? How does a changed life? How does new thinking look in the body of Christ? Because now, remember, you, you, were, you were Gentiles. And, and you, were, you were opposed to the Jews. They, they were, you were separate. But now in Christ, you are, are one. The mystery of God is the church. And that, that God... Yahweh would come incarnate in the flesh. He would walk amongst his people. He would die for their sins. And he would institute this thing called the church, where the Gentiles and the Jews would be one. So how does it play out? Unity. Unity. Instead of division, instead of animosity, you have to replace it with unity. We have one unit with one creed because we have one God. All the way back to Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Again, Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest command? said that exact thing from the Shema. We are one. We are one. Well, how does that oneness play out? How do we get the unity? Well, everybody in the body has to be a part of it. There is the synergy of the body that has to happen. We're, we're the Lord of the church gifts everyone in the church. And he gifts everyone in the church for the good of the church. And then he gifts some people in some churches with specific gifts for the glory that he has. But then the leaders of the assembly are, are then assigned, are required to equip the members of the assembly into the work of the ministry. Not to do the work of the ministry, but to equip the members into the work of the ministry, into mutual edification, into mature doctrine, so that we're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Because there are false teachers that are in the world who are seeking to deceive the, those who, who call themselves by Christ's name. And so David, Steve, Chuck, my job in this assembly is to equip, to outfit, so that you are versed in the scriptures, that you might minister to one another, that you might minister to your neighbors, that you might minister to your workmates, that you might minister to your extended family that you might have the Torah doctrine. Till we all come as one man, Christ, like Christ, perfect in a... But then we see, goes back again, that then the members are the ones who actually edify the church. This isn't my church. It's not David's church. It's not Chuck's church. It's not Steve's church. It's not the elder's church. This is Christ's church. And you are members of that body. 
whether or not you have committed, if you're attending, God's put you in this assembly. And he's gifted you in putting you in this assembly. And if you're not using the gift within the assembly, then the body cannot get to the final part. Because the ultimate goal is the growth of the body to become like Jesus. And we can't become like Jesus if part of the body is not doing what God put them in the body to do. Does that make sense? I mean, it's kind of hard for my body to function purely when my right arm refuses to help. Now, it's fortunate I'm left-handed. So I can, I can, I can accomplish certain things. I'm, I'm using the illustration purposely, okay? But the reality is I'm still what? Even though I can look like I'm still functioning, there's still going to be things I can't do. I can't do it because I haven't got the other hand to help me out. Well, I'm only the right hand. Now, for some of you, that's a big deal. Can you say I'm only the left hand? But for me, I need my right hand. Even though I'm good with my left hand, look what happens. I, I got a Band-Aid on this thing because it's my right hand, you know? So this morning I was pounding in a stake and I pounded my hand instead. Okay? You know, my, even my left hand wasn't really doing what it was supposed to do. We've got to do this thing together. And now he transitions, though, into, so how do we function in the world? How, how do we individually function in the world? But this isn't just for the world, but this is with one another as well. So as we go through these next two weeks, when we talk about living a transformed life and living a sanctified life in the world, the reality is it's in the world, but there's, there's the, the, it's in the assembly as well. It's with one another as well as we come through this. So it begins with, as we've talked through this whole thing, a new way of thinking. Paul says, I beseech thee, therefore, that you no longer what? Think like the Gentiles. You used to, because you were what? You were them. That, that you were in the world. You get it? You walked according to the course of the world. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You were a child of wrath. I get it. It's okay. You thought like that. I thought like that. Sin bothered me, caveat, dot, 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 whenever I was caught. And so it wasn't really sin that bothered me, it was what? Getting caught that bothered me. But then I met Jesus, and he changed my physics. You tracking with me? And now all of a sudden, sin bothers me. Sin bothers me. It doesn't always stop me. But it bothers me. And I fall on my knees and ask my God and my Father, my Abba, to forgive me. For placing my momentary pleasures above his eternal glory. For placing my wrath about his love. It wouldn't have bothered me before. It didn't bother me when I stopped the car and cussed my wife out. It didn't bother me at all. That sounds awful. But that's a reality. In the physics that I was in, that old man, that's who I was. I couldn't do it now. I could, but I couldn't live with myself. You track with what I'm saying there? So I want to just stop and ask, your, ask yourself as we come into this. 
Do you think differently? Do you think differently than you used to? Can you remember B.C., not Bob Corbin, but before Christ days? Do you remember your, your B.C. days? Your before Jesus days? Do you think differently now? Is it increasingly changing? So like in Sunday school, you're looking at Second Peter, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. As you are growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, are you becoming more and more like Jesus? Is your thinking transform, being transformed more and more and more and more? 20 years from now, it better even be more. I don't know what it's going to look like 20 years from now for me. All I know is I want, I know I want to look more like Jesus. And I yearn for the day when this mortal will put on immortality, this corruptible will put on corruption. This body of flesh will be done away with and I will literally have the mind of Christ. It's mind-boggling to me. You should no longer think like the Gentiles. Their empty, foolish mind, the word there, some of you have vanity, some of you have empty, some of you have foolish. The idea of that word is just, it, it's, it, it's just like, it's like non-existent, it's empty. And, and, and it's what fools do. And so it's like fools are walking around and you think that you're, when you see a fool do what a fool does, you think to yourself, what was he thinking? He wasn't thinking anything. There was null in his brain at the moment. That's this. And before Jesus, that's you. Whether you like it or not. Whether you want to admit it or not. And if you are here today and you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, that is you right now. And I'm not trying to be rude. You're empty-headed. <laughs> You're thinking foolish. And right now, you may be thinking foolish at me. And that's okay. Because I remember the first time I went to a, one of those kind of churches and the Holy Roller and all that kind of stuff, and, and I stared down the pastor and I gave him my best, let's go outside and take... You remember those days, don't you? That's exactly right. You were there. And I gave him this, my best... I'm from the city. My best, let's go outside and take care of this. I take care of you, you let these people go. You take care of me, I'll do what you want, you know? But we're going to go out and do alpha, alpha, mano, mano, and I'm going to wipe you out. And that's my thought process was. So I get it. So if you're here today, you don't know Jesus, and you're thinking I'm an idiot, I, I get that. I fully, 100% get that. But all I can do is tell you, in this end of it, I'm not the idiot. We'll talk about that word in a second. They had their darkened understanding because they were alienated from God. They didn't know God. I didn't know God. I knew about God. I knew a lot about God. I went to church every Sunday. I could tell you a whole lot of doctrine, but I didn't know him. Again, Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Getting saved is not knowing about God. It's not going to church. It's knowing God. It's knowing Jesus Christ. It is gnosko, relational knowledge. It's not oida, factual knowledge. My goal, my hunger, my passion is for people to know him. To know him, not just know about him. Life changes when you know him. Because of the cause, the effect of their emptiness, they have that, that darkened thing. The cause of it, though, is their inherent agnosticism. So, agnosticism. It's the word ignorant. Ignorant. Without 
knowledge, agnostic, literally agnostic, agnostic, no knowledge. Ignorant is what we would bring it over as. You don't have knowledge. And so there is an ignorance that people have. They don't know him. So people who are unbelievers are going to live like they're unbelievers. Why? Because they don't have any other understanding. But whose job is it for them to have the understanding? For, to help them get the understanding? Those who have it. But if you don't have a changed way of thinking, and as we're going to talk about, a changed way of living, and they look at you, why do they want what you got? You're no... Di- Say again, go ahead. No circle time, buddy. Anyways, and so, yeah, going back to kids club. And so, why do they want what you got, what, what you got if there's nothing different? But if you're living a transformed life, they're going to want what you got. You tracking? They're going to realize that there's some ignorance that is in them, that there's something that they need to know that they don't know, but apparently you know it. Their inherent agnosticism. And I say inherent because it's part of their what? Physics. It's a part of their very nature. It's part of their very being. Okay? Their callous hearts. Their callous hearts. Hardened hearts. The more they reject the message, the more their hearts become hardened. The manifestation then of this empty, foolish mind is their desire for lasciviousness. I like that word, a part of all the different words that are in all your different versions. I went with the word lasciviousness, okay? Why? Because it's just talking about sensuality as a whole. Some of you have the word sensuality. But it's even more than sensuality. It's, it's actually fulfilling my sensuality, finding ways to fulfill my sensuality. Their desire for uncleanness. Literally, again, this is a Jewish man writing, okay? The word uncleanness, agatharte there, is takes over into the Old Testament as anything that is apart from God. It cannot be found in the presence of God. It's not holy. Does that make sense? So think about the culture that you live in right now. How would you describe the ultimate, the, the widespread desires of our culture? Would you say there's a desire for lasciviousness and a desire for all that is unclean? <laughs> kind of amazing, isn't it? And so now you start to understand the church of Ephesus. You're living there. And whether you realize it or not, for years you've been inculcated in that. And there are many things that are lascivious and unclean that you think is okay. Because you've grown up in it. Again, I didn't get saved until I was in my 20s. So I'm not, I'm not picking on my mom and dad. I love my mom and dad. My, my dad is my, my brother in the Lord now. But I remember my mom and dad, my dad, they got me Led Zeppelin's Zozo album for Christmas. They were excited to get it for me. There's a lady who's sure that all the glitters is gold and she's buying a stairway to heaven. I can still quote you almost every one of those songs in that Zoso album. And do you realize that that Zoso album is just taking the Greek word sozo, which is life, and slamming it backwards because they were teaching death. I can tell you so much. I DJed. I can tell you so much about that trash of that day. And we play with it. This is the good old oldies songs. I heard a Billy Jewel song the other day. I was in somebody's car. And it drives me bonkers. I got to go in and I got to start listening to Christian stuff again and and, and to fill my brain. I don't even tell you what song it was because I can quote you the whole Billy Jewel song. I don't want it. Yeah, you get it. 
I got it all. And I'm fighting it. Even at 61, almost 40 years later, I'm fighting what I've allowed myself to be inculcated with for the first 20, 30 years of my life. You have to have a new thinking. You've got to understand that the Gentile way of thinking is a stinking thinking. And you've got to admit to yourself, to God, that you've been infested with it and infected by it. I mean, if you found out that you were infected by a, a disease, you'd want to eradicate it. You wouldn't want just a little bit of cancer left in your body. It's okay, we'll just leave a little bit of cancer. Let's get rid of the cancer that's over here, but I'm okay with the cancer being right here. It's really okay. That's stupid. You wouldn't do that. You want it what? All gone. It's the same thing. You cannot be content with any of that trash thinking, period. If I'm stepping on toes, understand I'm stepping on my own. Okay? This isn't me self-righteously proclaiming at you. <laughs> this is, again, another sh- playing my share in the wealth card. Okay? This new way of thinking, you should now think like Messiah. Note, first of all, quickly coming through here, there's a conditional. If so be you have learned him. Do you note what Paul's saying? No longer you should think like the Gentiles think, but now you should think like Messiah. If it's the truth that you've what? Really been taught by him. If you've learned him. So again, you've got to ask yourself, are you his or are you not his? If there is, again, not a change in the way you're thinking, you're not his. Okay? I'm just being honest, okay? And it's better to admit it and to get it right than to find out about it at the judgment seat. But it says, if so be that you have been taught by him, because you ought to be his disciple, a disciple is one who follows the ideology, strategies, and teachings of someone else. I challenge you to do this. Google disciple Saul Alinsky. Disciple Saul Alinsky. Now you say, huh? Saul Alinsky has a greater effect in this culture than you you realize. You're going to come up with Hillary Clinton. You're going to come up with Barack Obama. And you're going to come up with, oh, do I write down his name? Because I'm not going to say it just right. And some of you will know his name very well. Jorge Mario uh, Bergoglio. Did I say it right? Ooh, some of you. Who knows who that is? Who is it? It's the Pope the Pope. You say, well, who's Saul Alinsky? He was a communist, socialist, reformer that was in jail, and he wrote doctrines, ideologies, teachings, methods. That's why you have all the, 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 um, the rioting going on and stuff like that. The, the, the practices that you see, and I'm not the political message, but the practices that you see going on politically in our nation right now are direct results of the writings of Saul Alinsky. They're following him. Because they studied, Hillary Clinton wrote her final paper on it. That was her main person to study and to, to become a disciple of. Again, I'm not picking on Hillary Clinton. But she studied the strategies, teachings, 
ideologies of Saul Alinsky, and she's putting them into practice. And not just her, but those who follow after her. Are you tracking with me? So I want to ask you the question. Whose disciple are you? Does someone, can someone look at you and say, wow, that guy is following the ideology, strategies, and teachings of Jesus. Fill in the blank. But hopefully it's Jesus, right? And so, wow, they must be Christians, like they were called in Antioch. They were first called that in Antioch because they were following the ideology, strategies, and teachings of this guy named Jesus, who was the Christ, the Messiah. And so they were first called that. They didn't call themselves that. We have to call ourselves that so people know what we are. They shouldn't have to worry about us calling ourselves that. They should say, well, there's something different about that person. They're one of those people that are following the, the, the teachings of that rabbi from thousands of years ago. What was his name? Jesus. Yeah. They're, they're, they're of the way. They're, they're followers of the way. They're followers of Jesus. And they, whatever name they want to call you, it really doesn't matter. Yahwehites? That'd be kind of fun. Say again. Yahweans. I don't care. I just want to be known as his. Track? Whose disciple are you? Is it conditional? The commitment, though, is that you must then make a choice. You have to make a choice to put off the old mindset and put on the new mindset, which was created by God after in true righteousness and true holiness. God did the work. If you are his, he began the work. He changed your physics. But now there's a joint work. Remember, because our memory verse, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, right? And so we're not trusting in our works. We're trusting in the grace of God, right? By faith. But God has then prepared what for us? Good works for us before the foundations of the world. That's God's purpose for us. And so Paul told the Philippians in chapter 2, he says, it is God who puts, the, puts in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. So Philippians 1 verse 6, he who began the good work in you will continue to perform it to the day of Christ. So he's the one who's working you. He's the one who's putting in you the desires to do those things. But you have to what? Choose to do it. It's that, that divine unity that he has with those whom he has saved. So Peter talks about how we become partakers of the divine physis, the divine nature. How cold is this? You have an option. You can go on living in the of the world and wondering why life is always or you can become a partaker of the divine nature, walking with a new way of thinking Train transformed in how you see things. My kids laugh at me sometimes about it being over-spiritual when I watch a movie or whatever. You know, it's like, I, I want to see the spiritual. I, I mean, I don't want to be just, I mean, stuck in the here and now. This is like nothing. This is going to be gone. If it's deeper, I want it. i got to fly. A new way of living. Brings us in this new way of living. How? Speaking with truthfulness. By putting away lying. Why? Because we're members of one another. I'm, I'm going through this quickly, intentionally. Okay, you'll see it comes up like this. Because to me, it's more important for you to change the way you think. Because if you change the way you think, 
this is a no-brainer. Because you're not going to want to lie anymore. Lying just isn't right anymore. God hates lying lips. It's an abomination. It's a stench in his nostrils. Do you get it? You don't want it. So what do you do? Well, speak truth. Why? Because we're members of one another. We're part of the same body. Be angry with control. Note it doesn't say, don't be angry. Anger is not a sin. It's an emotion. What you do with the emotion becomes the sin. Anger with control. Jesus got angry. He tossed over tables. It was righteous indignation. Track with me? We like to hide behind righteous indignation. Don't hide behind it. Anger with control. Okay? When? Take care of it by the end of the day. Why? So that the devil doesn't get a foothold. When you are heightened in your emotions, it's a great opportunity for the devil to step in. When you're riled, get alone. Get with God. First question to ask yourself is, is this righteous or is this selfish? And if it's selfish, don't hide it. Don't pretend. Don't pretend you're righteous. Because you're not righteous and all you're doing is making it worse between you and God. Not to mention everybody else who's getting the up of the moment. Be angry. With control. Working with diligence. How? By not stealing. Rather laboring. I love the why. In order to give rather than take. You used to be a taker. Now you're supposed to be a giver. I think of that when people go to church. There's a whole lot of people who go to church as takers rather than looking to be givers. But again, God called us to be in the assembly in order to give, not to take. In order for us to minister to one another, not to look for other people to minister to me. So again, we probably won't grow. We won't grow to be thousands because with a message like this, it's not palatable. But maybe we will if literally we live it out. And people see something different. And they say, I want that. A church of givers. And I'm not talking money. I'm talking of you. A church of givers rather than takers. Are there people around you who need to be given to rather than being taken from? Communicating with grace. How? Sharing what is good for the edification of one another. Why? In order to edify one another. And secondly, more importantly, in order not to grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed into the day of redemption. Do you realize again that the Holy Spirit is living inside you? Everywhere you go, everything you say, it's like he's a part of it. How would you like it? If you were in somebody else's body being stuck, going wherever they're going, and you're thinking, I want out. Literally. (laughs) I don't want to be there. Quit taking me there. Quit talking like that. That's not what I'm talking to you like. First John, chapter 1. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Do you get it? If you can live in some of these prior ways and it doesn't bother you, you really got to start asking yourself, have I changed the way I thought? Have I really accepted the Messiah? Is my life been 
changed. Forgiving with tenderness, without bitterness, wrath, anger, evil speaking. Why? Because that's what God did for you. How can you do less for someone else? I know, again, I know I keep going back, but I know this guy from 40 years ago and how he acted. He, <laughs> so the song, Who Am I? Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? Man, I trashed his name. I abused his name. I only cared about my name. But the Lord of all the earth cared to know my name. He cared to feel my hurt. And he gave me his name. Do you get it? How can I not forgive other people when I've been forgiven so much? The Lord always has that parable in my brain of the servant who goes before the master asking for forgiveness of his loan. Millions, and the master gives it, and then he turns around and doesn't extend any forgiveness to the one who asks him, who only owes him a couple hundred. How can I do that? I can't do that. So in the end, are you walking worthy of the calling with which you were called? How would you describe your way of thinking? Is your thinking more reflective of the foolish Gentiles or of Christ? What about the use of your tongue and your time? Do you resemble Jesus or the world? And then finally, is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, you have begun the good work in me and in each of us who are called by your name. It's not because of what we've done, but in spite of what we've done. You have lavished your love upon us. You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You have caused us to be accepted in the beloved. You have given us the gift of your presence. The sealing of the Holy Spirit. Forgive us, Father, for not hungering for you more than we even do. You have declared that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Give us a passion to seek you. Change us, Father. Cause us to desire you more than we desire the things of this world. That the things of the world would become strangely dim in the light of your glorious grace. And that we would want to reflect you in all that we do. Individually, as families, as an assembly, to your glory. In Christ's name, amen.